with people going through some really difficult times and working end-of-life care as well. So um, that's just a joy to be able to uh, serve God in that way. And, um, yeah, we worked together in church together, and it, it was just a wonderful time together. And Nottingham's loss is very much your game. And uh, we just really been enjoying hearing the updates from Pastor Steve and Pastor Becky about the wonderful things happening here. And uh, they say lots of good things about you guys. And they um, always tell us about you all and what a joy it is to pastor you here. And um, we're just really excited to continue following your journey and hearing about all of the amazing things that God is doing in this part of the world. So I've been really enjoying um, listening to your podcast and it's a joy to be able to share in this series with you today. Um, I listened to Anita's podcast, um, What Are You Anchored To? And then really enjoyed Chris's message, which was Anchored in Light, Not Darkness, and Pastor Steve's message last week, Anchored in Hope. And I feel like I've got the cream of the crop today because we're going to talk on Anchored in Love, which is an incredible subject to focus our attention on this morning. And um, as we've already heard in the last few weeks, what is an anchor? An anchor is something that keeps you steady. An anchor is something that keeps you firm. It keeps you fixed in a place. It stops you drifting. It keeps you set and tied to something. And so what an amazing thing to focus on in terms of our thoughts and our perspective on love this morning, that it is something that keeps us steady and firm, fixed in a place, tied to something. And I just want to share a few verses that really focus us on the incredibleness of God's love for us this morning. Psalm 86 tells us, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. How incredible is that this morning, that his love is unfailing towards us? This is one of my all-time favorite verses, Zephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. What a beautiful, beautiful verse that is, with his love. He will calm all your fears. Have you ever had that experience of feeling fearful or worried about something and then someone draws alongside you and their presence calms you? Has anyone ever had that experience? And that's what God wants to do for us this morning. That when we're fearful, when we're worried, when there are things on our mind, that his very presence with us calms us. His love calms us. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. 1 John 4 talks about how God is love and that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away all of our sins. God so loved us that he gave and he gave us the most precious thing and what an amazing de uh, demonstration of his love for us. And one of my all-time favorite verses, Romans 8, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we face trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You know, when we go through things in life, it can make us think that sometimes, can't it? As the verse starts, it says, does it mean he no longer loves us if? we have trouble, if we have calamity, if we're in danger? And it's a rhetorical question, inferring that the answer, of course, is no. 
that when we go through challenges in life, when we go through difficulties, absolutely God still loves us. His love is still constant for us. And so that's a great reminder to us this morning. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a comfort to us this morning, isn't it? That there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing that can separate us from God's love. It's important to hold on to that, isn't it? Because we do go through many ups and downs in life. Does anyone agree with that this morning? I'm sure that in a room of this many people this morning, that we're representative of all sorts of different stages of life. Some of us are feeling joyful this morning. We've got any joyful people? few of you. Yeah, amen to that. Some of us are feeling less so, and some of us have got ourselves here to church this morning despite the fact that we're not feeling joyful, naturally speaking, and we're dealing with some things, and that's okay. You've got yourself here, and you're in a good place this morning, and a reminder for you today that, that whatever it is that you're dealing with, it cannot separate you from that foundation, that anchor of love that God has for you this morning. So that's a few of my favorite verses on God's love. Obviously, if I was going to share them all with you this morning, there'd be no time for me to say anything else to you. But I've just picked out a few of my favorite ones there this morning. But the subject of love is a big one because it's, it's basic, isn't it? As a Christian, it's basic that we, we know God loves us. But how often do we doubt that? We can doubt it, we can question it, and I think the time when we do question that is when we go through difficulty, isn't it? We do question those things. And so what I really hope from this message this morning is that this idea of being anchored in, in God's love, that it moves from being head knowledge, because we can know things in our minds, can't we? But actually applying it and living it out and it becoming heart knowledge so not just being something you know, but being something that you absolutely hold on to and you outwork in every facet of your life. That's something different, isn't it? So that's my prayer this morning, that this knowledge of, of God's love over your life moves from just being something we know to something we feel and we outwork deep in our soul this morning and that we live in the reality of it. But the truth is that there are many barriers to accepting God's love many barriers to accepting God's love and living in the reality of God's love over our lives. And I think part of that is because in our society, we've come to view love as some kind of romanticized concept, haven't we? It's in everything we watch, it's in everything we see around us, and we have this idea of love as being something that makes us feel good, something that is satisfying, something that, um, that feels good on the surface. And th but the truth is, love is often quite brutal. Love sometimes um, speaks words over us that is sometimes quite hard to hear. And for those of you that are parents in the room, you will understand that, that as a parent, you love your children. But that sometimes means that you tell your children things they don't want to hear. Am I the only parent in the room that ever does that? Or are a few of you with me? 
Yeah, amen. Sometimes we have to tell our kids things that they don't want to hear. Sometimes we have to speak words that, you know, that they can, they can then think, oh, that's not very loving. But the truth is it is because you see the potential in your children. You see that bringing that word that might seem harsh on the surface is going to bring about fruit, is going to cause them to develop and grow to their full potential. So the truth is love isn't this um, really nice feeling all the time, is it? It's not this thing that just makes us feel good on the surface, but it's this thing that challenges us and it gets to the root of things because love always wants to bring out the best in us, not just to make us feel good on the surface. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So love's not there just to make us all feel good and leave church this morning with a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm sorry about that because that is a good thing, isn't it? We want to leave church feeling good. But the truth is that sometimes when we're in church, we'll feel challenged or we'll feel convicted, or we'll feel uncomfortable, and that's sometimes God putting a finger on things that he wants us to work on, or develop, or, you know, just just change a little bit, because, and he does that because he loves us. Love does a deep-rooted work in us. And so what I want to do this morning on this subject of love is focus on, on four things this morning that can really illustrate barriers to us living in the reality of God's love for, for us and for our lives this morning. Is that okay? Fab. So we're going to start with our first uh, focus this morning. God loves you so much that he gives you what you need, not what you want. That's a tough one, isn't it? God loves you so much that he gives you what you need, and not what you want. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be times in life that God will give you what you want. He is a good father. He desires to give us good things. However, I know that if I pray today for God to, um, I don't know, what would I pray for? I wouldn't pray for a Ferrari. Who would pray for a Ferrari? Uh, yeah, Pastor Steve might be tempted to pray for a Ferrari. I don't know what I'd pray for. If I was going to pray for what I, like whatever I want, I don't know, maybe I'd fly to Barbados today or I would, you know, d you know, do like travel the world or do some amazing things. And, you know, it's not bad to want those things, but the truth is God knows what we need. And although there will be times in life he gives us what we want and the desires of our hearts, sometimes God will focus on giving us what we need and not what we want. But he does that because he has a father's heart of love for us. You know, the truth is, with my five kids, most of the time I'm focused on giving them what they need and not on giving them what they want. So there are times that I, that I do things with my kids that, that they don't want, but I know that they need it. They very much don't want it. So I will, I will get my kids to eat vegetables and fruit, they absolutely don't want to do that, but I know that they need to do that. There are times that I, I limit the treats that my kids eat, and that's not what they want either, but I know that that's what they need. I make my kids brush their teeth, and they absolutely hate doing that, but I make them do it, and they don't want it, but it's what they need. I make them do their homework. I say no to dangerous things. I set time limits on what they can do. I'm such a mean mum, such a mean mother. I set back <laughs> any other mean parents here today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm in good company. Um, I set boundaries on where they can go 
I set restrictions on their phone. I set time limits. I monitor what they do. But it's out of a, a heart of loving my children and wanting them to be safe. So when I do these things with my kids, guess what? I'm not very popular. I have to be bad cop. And I don't like being bad cop because it doesn't make me feel very good, but I know that I need to do it if I'm going to parent my children well and I'm going to give them what they need. Sometimes when I implement these things, my kids push back. Why are you doing that? That's not what we want. And they, you know, and they argue it. Um, sometimes when I implement these things in my kids' lives, they might even question if I love them. Have we ever done that? Question. Do you even love me? You're making me do all these things that I don't want to do. But the truth is that God's heart for us of love is that he will make us sometimes face things that we don't want to face, deal with things that we don't want to deal with, give us what we need instead of what we always want. And there's some key verses that tell us that reassure us that God knows what we need. Because the truth is, sometimes we don't even know that ourselves, do we? Sometimes we do just don't know what we need in life. Matthew 6 tells us, Your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. It then goes on to say, So do not worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God loves you so much this morning that he will be faithful to give you what you need. And that might be things that you don't even know that you need, it might be things that you resist God on because, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to focus on that. I don't want to deal with that uh, issue in my life. But God will always lead us and challenge us to deal with things because he wants to give us what we need. Philippians 4 tells us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What a great verse that is this morning. That we're to tell God what we need and thank him for all he has done. Then we will experience his peace that surpasses all understanding. So the truth is this morning, God already knows what we need. But he still wants us to come to him and talk to him about what our needs are, about our lives. He desires that closeness and that connection with us. C.S. Lewis says, whether we like it or not, God intends to give us what we need, not what we now think we want. And that's interesting, that word now, isn't it? Because sometimes in the moment we can think we need something, but God in his sovereignty sees the beginning from the end, doesn't he? He doesn't just see the today of our lives. And we're very much focused on the today, aren't we? What, we? what we think we need today. But God sees the bigger picture. He knows everything that needs to happen and what order it needs to happen in in order for you to have everything that you need in life. And so we can trust him, can't we? We can trust him with what we need. 
So we're going to move on to the second focus of this morning, which is God loves you so much, he takes you as you are. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Amen? I'm relieved about that. He takes me just as I am this morning. I don't need to turn up to church, and you don't need to turn up to church. Um, Putting on some kind of act this morning, trying to be on our best behavior, although I'm sure you are all on your best behavior this morning. You've all seemed a really friendly bunch, and you've given me a lovely welcome as I've come in this morning. But the truth is we can come before God just as we are. What a relief that is. Whatever our backgrounds, whatever our history, whatever we've been up to during the week, whatever has happened in our lives, that we can come to God this morning just as we are. And he takes us just as we are. I'm just going to read a beautiful passage from Romans 5 that says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Isn't that good news this morning? That God didn't wait for us to brush ourselves up and clean ourselves off and be on our best behavior to then decide to send Jesus. Oh, you're good enough now. I'll send Jesus for you now. He sent Jesus for us in the worst of our days, in the worst of our transgressions. While we were still sinners, he gave us that beautiful gift of Jesus. And as this verse starts, it talks about the problems and the trials that we face in life. That's probably representative of most of us this morning. I, I suspect there's not very many of us in this room that aren't currently facing some sort of problem or some sort of trial, whether it be big or whether it be small. But this verse talks about how God sent Jesus to us, even in the middle of our problems, even in the middle of our trials, while we were still sinners. We don't need to get to a point of having a spotless, shiny, clean life to be acceptable to God. He takes you as you are this morning. Whatever has happened in your week, whatever your past, he takes you as you are. How do we know that this morning? Well, the Bible is full of examples of it, and I'm just going to quickly share two of them this morning that show us examples of Jesus taking people, meeting them where they were at, and accepting them and loving them. The woman at the well. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So here we have a woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman with a shady past. 
And here she is coming to draw some water. And she's coming to draw some water at a time where she expects nobody to be at this well. She's deliberately come at a time where she doesn't think anybody else will be around. But there she meets Jesus. It's funny that, isn't it? That Jesus knows where we're going to be. And he positions himself there to meet us right at the point of our need. So here we have Jesus associating with a Samaritan. And Jesus is a Jew. Samaritans and Jews did not associate, but Jesus didn't care about that barrier. He was there with her. Secondly, she was a woman. Well, it was unheard of for a Jewish man to be, um, to be there spending time with a, a woman who wasn't his wife. So she was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was a woman with a, with a history, with a past, and, dealing, and still in the middle of those trials. And so here we have Jesus associating with her as someone that society would tell him you should not be associating with this person. In fact, this verse even tells us um, that when the disciples reappeared, what, what are you doing talking to her? That was their reaction. But Jesus broke down all of those barriers to speak to her. But not only that, while she's in the middle of her sin, Jesus talks about giving her living water. He wants to give her that gift even while she's in the middle of her sin. Who knows the story of Zacchaeus? Who did that one in Sunday school? We know a song about Zacchaeus, don't we? But I won't sing that for you this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He knows your name this morning. That's good news for us, isn't it? He calls you by name. You're not just a number in the crowd. You're not just a face in church this morning. You are known by name. And he says, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Anyone ever had people grumble about them? Oh, yes. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those that were lost. Two things to say about that encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And that's this. Firstly, Jesus uh, tells Zacchaeus he wants to go and be a guest in his house, despite what the crowd thought about it. Whatever people think of you this morning, whatever opinions have been said over your life, whatever people have said about you or thought about you, Jesus wants to be a guest in your life. He wants to be a part of your life this morning. The second thing to say about this encounter between Zacchaeus and Jesus is that Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I want to be a guest in your house, before Zacchaeus then decides to put right his wrongdoing. So here we have Zacchaeus saying, 
I will pay people back what I've cheated them. I will make it right. But he says that after. The invite to spend time with Jesus came before he put his sin right. So the truth is this morning, Jesus takes you as you are. Your worth is not affected by the sin in your life and in my life and the mess in your life and in my life. Your worth is still the same. God takes you as you are this morning. That's good news, isn't it? The third thing, though, brings a slight challenge to what I've just said. Because the third point this morning is that God loves you so much, he is committed to your transformation. So the truth is God takes us as we are. However, he loves us so much, he also wants to develop us, to stretch us, to grow us, and to cause us to go to greater heights in life. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So for me, as a parent of my five children, I absolutely love them just as they are. I love them when they're grumpy. I love them when they're cranky. I love them when they don't go to bed when I tell them to. I love them even when I spend an hour cooking a meal and then they refuse to eat it and then ask to eat cereal. Does anyone ever have that problem? I love them even when they do that. So I take them as they are, but I love them too much to leave them that way. I will constantly try and bring the best out in them and develop them and grow them and try and take them to a better place because I want what is best for them in their futures. So God loves you this morning just as you are, but he also loves you too much to leave you that way. He desires good things for your life. An example of this is found in scripture in John 8 where Jesus has an encounter with a woman who was caught in sin. She's caught in the act of adultery. The crowd are gathered. They're ready to enact her punishment, which in the time, that time of uh, day was, was death by stoning. And the crowd are there ready with the stones to hand, wanting to inflict this punishment on the crowd, on the woman. And Jesus turns up and basically confronts the crowd by saying, who are you? Who of you here are without sin? Whoever is without sin cast the first stone. And of course, nobody there can because they all realize actually we're the same. And we all, we're all the same this morning, aren't we? There's all things in our lives as well that we have to deal with. But what's really interesting is that it says here in John 8, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Did even not one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. So Jesus took her as she was. He saved her from this terrible ordeal. But he then speaks these words, go and sin no more. So that speaks of wanting her to move forwards from where she currently was. So he took her as she was and he accepted her and he saved her. But he also brought a challenge to her, go and sin no more because he desired to see her set free from the life that she was living that wasn't good for her. There's a verse in Hebrews 12 that talks about the discipline that God brings into our lives. None of us like discipline, do we? My kids hate it when I discipline them. Sometimes I'll do things like I'll take their phones off them. That's 
really hard, isn't it, for a 14-year-old boy to be without his phone. But do you, know, do you know if he's acting up or if he's not doing what he should do or if he's, you know, not behaving? That's, that's one of the things that I'll sometimes do. I'll take his phone off him or I'll ground him or I'll send him to bed early. It's lovely, really. I'm not painting a very good picture, am I? But the truth is that we bring discipline to our children. And why do we do that? We do that because we love them and we want to see the best brought out in them. And Hebrews 12 talks about it like this. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is not disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you're not his child at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits who live and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So that's the truth this morning, isn't it? That when God actually brings a discipline to us, when he challenges us on something, it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to bear, and, it, and it's really hard when God brings a challenge to us. But the truth is he does that because he loves us. There's another verse about that describes God as being the potter and us being like the clay and this piece of clay on the, on the potter's wheel and it's being twisted and contorted and shaped and molded. It's not an easy process. It's a painful process to be contorted and made to be this beautiful pot on the potter's wheel. But that's as we are in the hands of God this morning, that he wants to shape us and mold us into the best that he knows we can be. And the truth is that's uncomfortable, isn't it? But it is worth it. It is worth it. And there's another verse that talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's another area of transformation God wants to bring into our lives, a challenge that he wants to bring to us. So often we can be caught in negative thinking, in difficult um, mindsets, but God wants us to be full of peace and full of hope and full of love, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that's tough stuff this morning, isn't it? Some really, really challenging things there. But that brings me on to my last point this morning, which is this. God loves you so much, he doesn't waver in his faithfulness. Regardless of how we respond to all of that stuff that we've just talked about, he doesn't waver in his love, and he doesn't waver in his faithfulness. Isaiah 54 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And lastly, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. 
So the truth is this morning, and I'm coming to a close just now, is that whether we respond to God's discipline or not, whether we, we respond to the challenges he brings to us or not, wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether we've arrived in church and we're full of joy and we know that we've, we've had time with God in the week and we've come prepared and ready for worship this morning, or actually whether we've turned up and maybe this is our first time in church, we don't really know anything about God, or we've turned up this morning and we've not brushed the dust off our Bibles for a long time, but we're here. Regardless of which one of those camps you sit in this morning, he does not waver in his love and he does not waver in his faithfulness. Even when we are unfaithful to God, he remains faithful. Isn't that good news for us this morning? I wonder if we can stand and we come to a close just now. And I just want to share one final verse as we bring this, uh, this theme of being anchored in love to a close this morning. And it's found in Ephesians 3. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You know, it actually says here, may you have power to understand God's love, even though it's too great to understand fully. And the truth is this morning that none of us really fully understand the depth of God's love for us and we probably never will it's too great for us to understand fully but that's my prayer this morning as we close this uh, this theme of being anchored in love is that actually today you would have a supernatural encounter with God where this concept of God's love over your life can move this morning from being something you know to something you feel in, your, in the core of your being, and that that impacts the rest of your day, the rest of your week, the rest of your month, and the rest of your days. That walking through life with the comfort and the peace and the knowledge that God loves you so much, he loves you so much that he takes you as you are. He loves you so much that he is not willing to leave you as you are, but he is committed to your transformation. That God loves you so much that he gives you what you need and not what you want. And that he loves you so much that he does not waver in his faithfulness. You know, as I was thinking about this verse, that may you have power to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God for you. I've got thinking a little bit about, okay, well, what's the highest thing we can think of? What's the widest thing we can think of? And what's the deepest thing? Because if we can grasp that, then maybe we're somewhere on the way to grasping how wide and how high and how deep God's love for us. So I did a bit of research. And the highest point that we know of in earth is Mount Everest. From the Tibetan side, climbing Mount Everest should take about 50 days. You're going on a two-mile walk. I don't know if any of you fancy going up Mount Everest. Anyone? Pastor Steve definitely doesn't fancy going up Mount Everest. <laughs> Whenever I come and visit Pastor Steve, we always go on long walks, don't we? I'm a walker. Anyone else a walker? Yeah? 
I love a long walk. Um, 50 days it takes to go up Mount Everest. This includes arriving in Lhasa, transferring to the Tibetan Everest base camp, acclimatizing, preparing, and making the final ascent. The final ascent up Mount Everest takes about six days. Climbers who ascend higher than 26,000 feet on Mount Everest enter something called the death zone. In this area, oxygen is so limited that the body's cells start to die and judgment becomes impaired. Climbers can also experience heart attacks, strokes, or severe altitude sickness. So Mount Everest is so high that you would need specialized equipment, you would need oxygen, and you would risk your life to reach the highest point that is known to us on Earth. So that's the highest point. The deepest point. The deepest part of the ocean is called the Challenger Deep and is located beneath the Western Pacific Ocean in the southern end of the Mariana Trench, which runs several hundred kilometers southwest of the US territorial island of Guam. Challenger Deep is approximately 10,935 meters deep. Anyone fancy a swim? Because of its extreme depth, the Mariana Trench is cloaked in perpetual darkness and the temperature is just a few degrees above freezing. The water pressure at the bottom of the trench is a crushing eight tons per square inch, or about a thousand times the standard atmospheric pressure at sea level. The first and only time humans descended into the Challenger Deep was more than 50 years ago, in 1960. After a five-hour descent, the pair spent only a 20-minute period at the bottom and were unable to take any photographs due to the clouds of silt stirred up by their passage. That's pretty deep, isn't it? That's so deep that only a very small handful of people have ever gone that deep. And wide. Earth is widest at its equator. The distance around the Earth at its equator, its circumference, is 40,075 kilometers. Stephen Newman is one of the few people ever to walk the whole equator. He embarked on the 15,509 miles across 21 nations on five continents to become the first man to ever walk the globe. He prepared for five years with a grueling schedule of saving 25,000 US dollars, studying endless amounts of topographical maps and taking many strenuous hikes and camping trips, some lasting several months in the desert and mountains to gain mental and physical strength. So we've had a little flavor this morning of the highest point of Earth, the deepest point of Earth and the widest part of Earth. But it's still not enough for us to grasp how high and how wide and how deep is God's love for us. You imagine if you could climb to the top of Mount Everest today, or if you could get in a submarine and go to the depths of the Mariana Trench, and if you could then walk around the equator, you might then understand a little bit of the height and the depth and the width of God's love for you this morning. But let's just close maybe with a time of prayer and I'll hand over to Pastor Steve in a moment. This verse says, may you have power to grasp it. And that's my prayer for you this morning. 
that this would not be a nice message that makes us feel good and we go home and carry on with the rest of our day and the rest of our week, but actually this concept of God's love and being rooted and anchored in God's love actually changes our lives this morning. It changes the way we view ourselves because the truth is we view ourselves very negatively sometimes, don't we? It changes the way we view others and it changes the course of our lives forever. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Pastor Steve. Father God, I thank you for this time that we've had in church this morning. I thank you, Father, that you know each of us by name. You know how many of us are here this morning, but you know each one uniquely. You created them. Lord, you make no mistakes. Each one that you have created this morning, you have created them just the way they are for a reason. You have placed unique skills and abilities and giftings within each one here this morning. You've created us from different cultures, from different races, from different backgrounds for a reason. You love us all uniquely. And I thank you, Father, that we are here gathered from so many different backgrounds and walks of life and cultures and races, but we are one. We are one family this morning, and you have a deep love for each one of us. And so, Father, my prayer today is that we would each leave grasping that love for us this morning. And although it's difficult and challenging because your love for us is not the romantic love that we see on Netflix. It's not this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that we're used to in our lives. But actually, it's a love that will sometimes challenge us. It's a love that will sometimes draw out the best of us. It's a love that sometimes will therefore feel uncomfortable. But your love for us is so deep and so high and so wide that you refuse to leave us as we are this morning. But you draw out the best of us. And sometimes that's a painful process. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who is feeling that painful process, who is in the middle of that shaping and molding, and it's not very pleasant. I pray that you will remind them this morning of your love for them and that you are shaping and molding them because you love them and you are committed to them. Father, I pray for anyone in here this morning who is struggling with confidence and self-worth. Lord, I pray this morning that you would break through those patterns of negative thinking towards themselves and that they would have power to grasp the depth of your love for them this morning. You created them the way they are for a reason and you love them deeply. Help them not to try and change themselves to be acceptable to anybody else. I pray that they would come to a deep acceptance of who they are, knowing that they are loved by you. And for anyone else in this room, for whatever reason, who is struggling with the concept of your love over their lives this morning, Father, I pray that you would meet with them now as we close this service and as we take this time to focus on you, that you would meet with them now and reveal your heart and your love for them. In your precious name I ask it. Amen. 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 Jesus. Jesus. Transformation. Just got the word that some of you are fighting against transformation. It's, you've almost tried to sabotage your own life 
because you're, you're, you're thinking you're not good enough to receive God's transformation. But today God continues to fight for you. He continues to work towards you, to chase after you because he loves you. And he wants you to become more like him. When I was a kid, one of my favorite sports heroes was Michael Jordan. And there was a saying, to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Yeah? Well, this morning, I want to be like Jesus. Come on. Today, come on, in your spirits, let's say that. I want to be like Jesus. Today, Jesus fights for your transformation. Don't sabotage your life because you feel you're not worthy of Jesus and all that he has for your life. Jesus loves you that he came and he died on the cross for you. Come on. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus, this morning we pray, mighty God, pour out your spirit afresh on people's lives. May they receive a fresh anointing of your transformational power, Lord God. Your restoration power, Lord Jesus, in their lives, Lord Jesus. You have changed us from the inside out. We are a continual work of your love, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, that not one person in this room is a finished product because, Lord God, you are continuing to mold us, to shape us, to help us be more like you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we come before you and we say afresh, make us more like you, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.